When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And good morning, and welcome to another edition of Magic Man in the Morning. And good morning. I'm your host, Sean Grice, and welcome to The Six. It's a beautiful day. It is Wednesday, May 24th. This is a surprise uh, Magic Man in the Morning, but I thought I'd uh, bring it to you guys because our season ended swiftly and forcefully. On Monday, um, Friday, I have a bit of a scheduling issue, so I didn't want to come in too early and uh, make sure nobody saw it, Uh, especially Gerald, since he's on vacation, so I wasn't going to uh, wake the Glassfords up on their uh, much-needed vacation. And Gerald, I hope you enjoy your vacay, and when you come back, uh, you'll be enthused and uh, bushy-tailed once again. Now... As for uh, today's episode, I thought the theme would be perspective. That's what I'm about today. I'm I'm about the perspective. So for me, and as we welcome in Zangerstein, what's up, Z? As uh, Z works out uh, some, some audio issues we have with the Lakers fast break, we'll get to that. Uh, I just wanted to say this perspective is really important to me. Um, I don't think I've shared it with the audience. And since we've become friends, I think it's, you know, important that uh, (laughs) Eduardo says game five. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. On 2K, it'll be game five. But I just wanted to share, uh, you know, I shouldn't be here having this discussion with you guys seriously. Uh, So I'm a type one diabetic. So when I was five years old, I started losing a lot of weight. Um, at first it was a couple, couple kilos a week for two weeks. Then it was seven and a half for a couple. The first, uh, incident, my mother took me to the doctor's office and said, you know, my son is losing a tremendous amount of weight. I don't know what's going on. Uh, the doctor diagnosed me with tonsillitis and sent me back home. Upon, upon uh, another few days, I started getting extremely sick. And my mother took me to see the doctor again. You could see through my uh, rib cage. You could actually see the, the cartilage. That's how, that's how thinned and uh, bony I was. And uh, I was dying at the time. She didn't know it. The doctor didn't know, but I was dying. 
So they rushed me to uh, a children's hospital and they took me in to see the, uh, the head of uh, endocrinology at uh, the best children's hospital uh, around. And after about 45 minutes, he came out and he spoke with my family and he said that if he could give a certificate for the sickest child he's ever ha seen, it would have been me. Normally, uh, a blood glucose level up here, the readings are normal is between four and seven. High is anywhere from uh, 12 to 33. Now, after 33, the blood is so thick and is so turbulent that it can't be measured. There's too, there's too much glucose running through the system. So he said my blood glucose level was 65. So that's twice the normal limit of what's considered, you know, high. So this was a lethal high. And he told my mother that he couldn't give me a flush bolus of insulin because he was petrified that I would go into multiple organ failure. So he said, I have to drip dose your son with insulin until his blood sugar can come down to a level where I'm not in significant worry that he's going to die. So I shouldn't be here talking to you guys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an anomaly can't explain it. There's no doctor today that I've ever seen that's been able to explain that situation. And they say they can't. So uh, I'm just blessed to be here talking to you guys. And uh, I'm just thankful. I just have a lot of gratitude that we have the audience we have and that you guys keep coming out to support us. Um, and you guys keep us on our toes. And we try and keep you on your toes. And it's just a blessing for me. And I just want to say thank you guys. This has been so awesome. And I hope the experience continues. And so I wanted to keep that perspective in mind. Because the perspective for this season for me is there's a lot of salt. We were salty for a lot of this season. Salty about the roster. Salty about the new coach. Salty about the front office, salty about ownership, and then the trade deadline happened, and then things started to get less salty, and they got a little more, more savory because the defense was good. That's right, Hudson, we need a big and elite point guard, 100%, bro. So we started to get a little savory of what the team potentially could be. They were playing at that best during that uh, that six-week stretch and it, it uh, apexed with that uh, six-round victory against Memphis. And F you, Dylan Brooks, you clown-ass clown. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You won knocking your ass out of the first round, clown-ass. So that was that was really sweet, right? Then we get to round two, and we're running around. We're running around uh, trying to chase Golden State everywhere. And as we had said earlier, me and me and Gerald and uh, John McKinley and just running around with those guys just takes a lot of energy out of you. It's a lot of exertion, a lot of bursts of energy. And 
Golden State, I think, maxed out their their potential this year with their team, and they took us to six games and knocked them out. So that was pretty sweet, too. And then we get to the Sour, which was the Western Conference Finals. That's a sour note to end the season on, getting swept. One, two, three, four. Just bad, you know? Especially considering the fact that you lost game one by six, you lost game two by five, you lost game three by 11, and you lost game four by two. Three of the four losses were by five points or less. That's sour. That sucks. It tastes really bad. However, we did start out two and 10. We weren't supposed to even make the the play-in, let alone the playoffs. Won two rounds and made to the Western Conference Finals. You know, that's a sweet aftertaste. I got to say, sour note to end, but a sweet aftertaste. Because they accomplished more than I thought they would. And I'm proud of them and good on them. But we have to get back to playing at a championship level from the hop, from the start, from the tip, from the starter's gun. None of this, we're coming from behind crap. That's not what we do here. We're the Lakers. We're not front runners. We're contenders. We put the best team out on the floor and we execute. I agree with Zangerstein right there. This team has the ingredients. They just lack the the icing on top. That's true. This team has a lot of stake. It's just missing the sizzle. I agree. We're going to see if uh, Rob can um, do something about that. I, I realize what uh, what has been said on uh, other po- podcasts and what uh, other analysts have said that, uh, you know, uh, the Kyrie Irving um rumors are at the end of the day in, invalid because, you know, the Lakers don't have the requisite salary cap and common sense uh, in the CBA for fans to understand that that's going to be dicey. Acquiring Trey Young is going to be dicey. So, yeah, it's going – the Lakers are going to do what they did all season. They're going to look around the landscape and – find somebody that nobody is linking them to is really damn good because that's the only way they're going to get somebody like that. But I am really, really pleased with what took place over the second half of the season. And you know what? I'm not, I'm ready to give Rob Palenka his flowers for, for making sure that the roster was, was uh, better constructed for a postseason run. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, is that he doesn't deserve uh, a coronation of uh, roasted pig and uh, Merlot yet because he's the one who made that Westbrook trade. He's the one who had to bail us out of it and bail himself out of it. And as a result, you know, he's secured his his, uh, his job security. You know, the Lakers and Genie Bus are not going to... Uh, yeah, you know what, Zanger? I, I, you have to respect Darvin Ham. You have to. I mean, you know, I realized that, uh, again, there were a lot of uh, uh, analysts such as yourself and Stone and uh, uh, a, a lot of former players who had qualms and were, were nitpicking, and rightfully so, right, at, uh, you know, some of his uh, designs. 
But the fact of the matter is, you know, he's he was around this group all year. He understood the urgency. He understood what they were missing. I'm sure he was very vocal about that. And ultimately, he didn't get what he wanted, but he got what he needed to, to try and get this team over the hump. You know, it's a Stones song. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But sometimes you get what you need. And that's what he got in the end. He got what he needed. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that that perspective is uh, shone through because it's true. And now we find ourselves in an off season where there's a lot of question marks. Um, you know what? Let's leave those for another time and another day. I'm just happy that the Lakers were able to make a deep playoff run. I got to talk about the Lakers for five more weeks than I realistically thought I would. I honestly thought we could probably get to the first round, and depending on the matchup, we could win. I didn't think we'd get all the way to the conference finals, even with this roster. You know, I remember saying after the trade deadline that, uh, you know, I thought the uh, the surgery was successful, but the patient was still going to die. Um, you know, unfortunately, I wanted to be proven wrong. I wanted to be able to uh, be on here and rip up that piece of paper and eat it for you guys, eat my own words. But the fact is, is... <laughs> And Zangerstein with a great question, uh, great comment. It's kind of funny because the center the Lakers need is Zubat's profile, the one Magic gave up for pennies. Well, he gave up Mike Muscala for him, but yeah, penny pennies on the dollar. Um, you know, is Mike Muscala really making a big difference sitting at the end of the bench for the Boston Celtics right now? Nope. So... That's disappointing, Zanger, but you know, you can't, we can't keep beating a dead horse either. Like, that move was made, that move was made with a lot of short-sightedness on, on especially Magic's part, because he just traded them to a rival, you know? This, is, this isn't like, this isn't like it's in the 80s, and somehow, you know, they trade Byron Scott to you for, for peanuts as well, you know, it's not the same thing. It's a different climate. It's a different environment. They're not the same team they were. And he had the sole objective of just believing in the smoke and mirrors that if I just put shooters around LeBron, it'll solve everything. Mm -mm. Look how many times Mitch Kupchak did that with Kobe. Jason Capono forgot how to shoot when he came here. Troy Murphy forgot how to shoot. Terry Teagle with Magic. Like you could go on and on down the list of of guys the Lakers have acquired who lose their skills, and then the Lakers end up trading uh, a guy with requisite skills that just keeps improving. It's it's mind numbing. But you know what, Z? We should be thankful that Magic's not in that seat anymore. Uh, but I really think uh, the coaching staff does need uh, mending. I, I think you need to bring in, you know, a, a Sam Cassell, a two-point geezers, somebody who can really, really get down in the in the trenches with a, a guard, point guard, and figure out what works. I thought some of 
some of his creativity with Tyrese Maxey this year was was great. That wasn't Doc. That was Sam Cassell. So I would love to see Sam Cassell work with. Uh, Good morning, Sovereign. Hope you're well. It's a beautiful morning here. I hope it's a beautiful morning where you are. Yeah, well, it is. It is. We've been on the opposite end of that as well, Zangerstein. Like when we traded um, Vladrad for ammo and then Shannon Brown came out of nowhere. That was a pretty good trade. So sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Zangerstein. I agree. I like Maxi's play more than Harden. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh-huh. NBA Finals is boring. Well, you know what, Raul? From a, from a pure optics point of view and just uh, eyeballs being interested, yeah. It's, it's it, you know, uh, the Denver audience and the South Florida audience is very small. Um, I think they have a surplus population combined of maybe about 7 million. And I'd be hard-pressed to find if you get, like, at least half of them. So, the NBA is probably not going to like the uh, the TV ratings when they come out in about a month. Yeesh, not going to be good. I'm going to watch it, though. I'm a junkie, man. I can't help it. I'm going to watch it. I hate that. Uh, I hate that they won yesterday. I hate it. I hate it. I want them to lose. I want them to get swept didn't happen that's fine you know what jimmy and the boys go back to the go back to the garden and just kick their ass there and beat their ass on their home floor and let's get this over with because we can't have 18 to this year neither can they i want them to be as insufferably miserable as i am and other laker fans are that we're not going to raise trophy this year so they can't raise it either and my favorite uh, in that series would be Miami. Not to go too in depth, but I just think uh, ultimately whether or not it's Aaron Gordon, KCP, um, you could even throw Bruce Brown in there. I, I really don't think there's there's a guy who can mitigate what Jimmy Butler can do. Jimmy's going to get his twenty five, eight and six. It's just it's a matter of how he's going to do it and when he's going to do it. Is his best work done in the fourth quarter? Absolutely, which is why I think it'd be an interesting series from that perspective, Raul. I think it would be like a like a Jamal Murray and Jokic versus Jimmy B in the fourth quarter. I think that that's an interesting storyline. As we move on for more perspectives, let's talk about some perspectives as far as the, the young guys are concerned. Um, did anybody expect Austin Reeves to shoot the way he shot over the past three months? No, but he's put in the work for it. I, I, again, I've said it on playback. I'm not sure if I've said it on, uh, on this, on this, uh, podcast. I really do think that Austin Reeves could potentially be, uh, a 50, 40, 90 candidate at some point in his career. He's got the chops for it. He's oh, he's at just a slight, slight subpar ninety percent free throw shooter. Uh he ta- his shot selection is ex. His shot selection is excellent. His shot selection is excellent. I think he can eventually be a fifty percent free throw sh- uh, from the field, and forty percent from three. 
that's a big ask, but I think he could do it once or twice in his career. He definitely has the um, the uh, energy, the motor, and the uh, the mind for it. And quite frankly, for a for a guy coming coming out of his uh, rookie year to establish the kind of not just chemistry, him and LeBron had a lot of synchronicity. Uh, especially so in the um, in the um, in the Golden State series, the those two uh, got each other going. Usually, when Reeves started hitting, you know, a couple layups or a couple of threes, that would get LeBron going because he was usually the the person who found him. So that was really really interesting and a really great um, byline in the uh, season is that you know LeBron developed strong strong chemistry and synchronicity with Austin Reeves and you know whether or not you know LeBron's coming back right but the the fact of the matter is if you're bringing back LeBron and Austin Reeves is absent from that equation then there you go again you're gonna have to start all over you're gonna have to find find a guard uh either in the draft or undrafted and LeBron's going to have to start over all again I th- I think a lot of people are making too much out of this and making him a mountain out of a, a molehill when it comes to Reeves and his uh, restricted free agency. Um, I'm not sure about Rui because, you know, as Stone Hansen and Gerald uh, Glassford have uh, discussed ad nauseum, it seems, is that, look, there's a whole resume of, of Rui and... Absent the eight-week stretch he's had here, is he really going to keep blossoming? Because Rui can't hit Jack, you know what, at the rim. He's a, a terrible, terrible rim finisher. That's that's one of the issues I have. The other issue is is again, fifteen points one night, eighteen points one night. 21 points in the next next night, you know, eight, four, zero. I agree, Zanger. I, I think the Lakers will match Reeves. I do too. I do too. I think we're going to see whether or not he they just sign him to an extension or um qualify him. I would rather sign I, I, and again, we've had this conversation on Lakers fast break before. It's uh it's a bit of an in the in the weeds kind of uh how the sausage is made, so to speak, conversation boring. But the fact is, I would I would try to uh I would try to uh extend him before I attempt to qualify him. That way there's no uh chance anyone has to make him an offer sheet if you've already signed him to an extension. Yeah, Zinger, I remember. Yeah, his splits his splits in the playoffs are very good. He's just he's a 60, he's a 60, 50, 60, 90, yeah. So I understand that, but we've seen that before where a player can just get hot for uh for a stretch, but then they 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 revert back to the mean. That that's you know, that's a statistical uh truism, right? Right, Zanger? Uh, you know, everything ultimately always reverts back to the mean. So that's what I'm saying. Are are you willing to pay uh, hands, uh, you know, a, a fool's ransom 
for potentially him regressing back to the mean. I'm not sure if they're willing to do that. I, I, you know, there's been some been some questions about that. He does have great chemistry with uh, LeBron and AD in the front court. I will say that. So there's definitely some potential there. I'm just saying it's frustrating watching him finish at the rim. He needs to get better at finishing at the rim. You know, as much as his jump shot has improved, he really needs to improve his running floaters, uh, using the glass more. Like he, he, like use the glass more, dude. You're strong enough; you can do it. But it's, he's got to be a better finisher at the rim, Z. If we're going to take the next step. And moving on from more perspective, you know, um, D'Angelo Russell. So when the Lakers first drafted D'Angelo Russell at the mitt, wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan. I I think it, um, I got to be honest, I <laughs> I kept saying, you know, he, he plays like he's got cement in his sneakers like he's he's like he's walking running in wet cement like and i noticed like you notice his sneakers would always screech the floor like i noticed that the first like year and a half he played with the lakers he would constantly be be nudging at his feet and i i just felt like damn like this guy's got such already got such questionable footwork and now this is happening I didn't, I never liked his footwork when he got traded. I wasn't too upset about it. The only upsetting part about that trade was that we didn't retain Brooke Lopez. We let Brooke walk out the door. That's what, uh, that's what gets me. And back to Zinger science point. Yeah. Z he traded Zubats from Escala, but he let Brooke Lopez walk out the door. Who's a, who's, who's better at, at what he does than both of those guys. I digress. That ju- that just gets me going. But the fact is, is that D'Lo came back. You know, we needed his scoring punch for that six to eight week uh, run. We really did. And uh, ultimately, what happened in the playoffs is our what shouldn't be surprising. He got exposed for the bad defender that he is he's not he's not a good defender he's a bad defender at times he uses his length but i mean that's like saying you know a chameleon uses a sticky tongue like yeah so and what big deal wow he gets a block every once in a while wow you know a dog finds a bone once in a while too big deal uh i want to thank him for his efforts i don't want to see him back I don't think he's a a good fit with the core. I just, you know what, Z? I his defense is just so suspect. D'Lo is so skilled, and his ego is high, but his energy is low, and his game is too slow sometimes. Trying hard and give giving some force can get more results than pure skills. That's true. That's true. I mean, you know, you crack the hammer against the rock. A thousand times is eventually going to break. That's a hundred percent true. I will say this though: sometimes um, you can't bleed blood from a stone, though. Either you um, at times his shot is ineffective. 
At times, his shot selection is also ineffective. And when that happens, his processing skills aren't as fast as you want them to be. That's why he's not a pure point guard. Because although he makes really nice touch passes, he can make really great uh, stretch passes. The processing skills aren't on a level of, say, a Trey Young or even a Tyrese Halliburton. So it's weird with him. Sometimes he's the best guard on the floor on a certain night. And then for four straight games, he'll be uh, he'll be uh, Harry Houdini and disappear. So I don't think D'Lo will be back, you know, even for the right price, I wouldn't want him back because his shooting can just take you out of the game. As we move on, ah, salary schmallery. Yeah, sure. I, I don't think that I don't think it's a good move to uh, to get into a business relationship with D'Angelo Russell Z. I really don't. No, but yeah, that that's a tough one because like even if you put a number a, a number on D'Angelo Russell's, like, looking around a team might say, yeah, I don't I don't I don't want to pay that for two or three more years. It's dicey. So if they need a salary, I guess they need a salary. I don't think so. Cause he's a at this point he's an unrestricted free agent. Like I think we need it I think we need uh I one of Bomba or Beasley's salaries, that's for damn sure. Uh I don't think they can let either one of those guys walk. They gotta keep at least one of those guys. And then yeah, okay. I can see your point, Z. If you're gonna keep one of those guys, then you would uh then you would probably re sign Russell. So that's not, I'm not saying it's out of the realm possibility. I'm just saying I don't want to see D'Angelo Russell wear purple and gold again. I don't. I don't. Jupau, three straight games against Memphis. Clutch playing game one against the Warriors. I hope we re-sign D'Lo. All right. All right. You know, I saw him, I saw him play three good games in the playoffs, bro. You know, uh, game, game, game three was all right, and then game six, and then he had a great uh, closeout game against the Warriors. His defense is bad. It's not. It's not going to help us get to a championship level. That's the problem. I understand that, Z. But the, the again, the the issue is is like we're in a situation right in the CBA where you have to clean up your act over this next year. Or you're going to face severe, severe punishment. Like, severe punishment. Like, you're going to lose draft picks. You're going to lose the ability to sign uh, players in the buyout market. So, they need to be very careful about how they handle this situation with D'Angelo Russell. It's just that simple. You might need the salary. You might need the salary. But the fact of the matter is, is that... and. and at the end of the day, there's just no guarantee right now that another team would take them. Like, especially, especially like when we're talking about the teams at the bottom, the teams at the bottom need to resign their own people too. Like people are talking about Houston. Houston has to figure out what they're doing with Alper and Shingun. They have to figure out what they're doing with Jalen Green. They have to figure out what they're doing with Ty Ty Washington. Houston has to pay a bunch of the guys coming up. So it's not like it's not like you can just throw around 25 million for Reeves or 25 million for um uh shoot for Josh Hart. Like 
you can't just flippantly spend this kind of money. Z, Z says, the thing with Memphis and the Warriors is that attacking D'Lo is not a part of their game plan, unlike the Nuggets. Yes, that's that was correct. That was correct. And I, I, to counter that, right, the Lakers were able to use D'Lo as a weapon against those two teams because uh, as 6'5", and with some uh, length, he's able to back down a lot of their guards and shoot, you know, 16, 20-foot uh, turnaround fadeaways and make them with accuracy because he can make those shots. He played very well over the first first two series. It's just a play a player who commands that kind of salary cap shouldn't I, a shouldn't have that kind of um, impact on a playoff game and b shouldn't be playing that much in a playoff game given his defensive issues. You know, it, he that it, it hasn't worked the first time in LA, in Brooklyn, in Minnesota, and now is because at times, at times, he's the worst player on the basketball court, especially when his shot is inconsistent and his defense is bad. Now, moving on for perspectives, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Vando. So, We've heard good things about Vando before he even arrived in Los Angeles. Um, and then throughout uh, a few uh, uh, games, um, me and Gerald were astounded, really, at the fact that a, a lot a lot of his passing skills are not uh, at the forefront of his profile. He's an excellent passer, especially especially in the open court. That backspin he can get on a ball is perfect. It's like it's magic esque. It's Penny Hardaway esque. The way he can put the backspin on the ball in the open court is fantastic. It's an excellent skill to have, and he's a ten out of ten. Uh, played well in spurts, right? Played well in spurts. Uh, really needed him in uh, the series with Jaw. Really needed him in that one. Um, basically we put him on Curry as well, played well against Curry, uh, teams adjusted on Vando. Uh, unfortunately Vando could never get going really offensively. He, you know, he can't hit the corner three, you know, he's good. He's good enough to hit the corner three to take enough of those shots just around the other areas of the basketball court. Dude just needs to improve, but I love him. I love his heart. Vando's got a lot of heart. Later, Raul. Vando's got a lot of heart. He plays with a lot of heart. He also plays with uh, a big motor. So we're going to bring him back. I'd like to keep... Strong Typhoon landed now in my area. All right, Raul. Please uh, batten down the hatches and be safe, man. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you. We're all praying for you. Yeah, Zinger, I agree. Uh, Vando's passing and his off-ball work. Cam did not do much off-ball plays. That's one of my concerns. Where are the handoff flares and pin screens? Yeah, like he's really good at that stuff, right, Z? Just he. One thing I love about Vando is when he's on that break, his eyes are always looking down, uh, looking straight ahead, straight at the rim or straight down the seams where somebody's flying. And I agree, Z. There wasn't a lot of off-ball movement and a lot of, you know, and that's why you and uh, others and, 
including ourselves, were talking about how the offense at, t- at times is so milk toast and vanilla, like blah, like please. It's like a pa- paper cutter, terrible. Like, And so I'm looking for Vando to hopefully work hard in the gym this summer. I think he will. Um, but we need to incorporate his positive skills on offense, and he does have them into the offense because uh i just love the um the chemistry he had with uh ad on defense and so if we brought Rui back then you would have a combination of like Rui, uh vando uh ad and maybe a backup center to uh complement those three guys but you know the front court looks like it's in in pretty good shape hopefully lebron takes some time and yeah we we all think he's going to be back, right? Not going to leave that kind of quan uh, on the table. Bando needs to work on his baseline threes. That's all. Baseline threes, and he will be great. Yeah, he he made it. He made enough where you're confident enough he can he can actually work on that and be good at it. Z. So I I think he I think he needs to develop a little bit of uh, of a dribble drive game. Z. Um, you know, when, um, when the Lakers had, um, Danny Green, uh, Danny Green at that point was a three and D threat. I mean, he, he was looked at as the example for about three years. Um, but Danny learned, had to develop a dribble drive game because that first series, uh, they played against the heat in the finals, the heat trapped him when he had to hesitate on open jumpers and he could never put the ball on the floor confidently enough, try to make a play for himself or others. So I really think if Vando develops that skill as well, it'll translate better. and It'll make our, our offense a little bit more buttery, more smooth. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. And you don't need to do, you don't need to work on it. Uh, you know, a numerous amounts of, of, of uh, hours, you know, just a little, just a little bit. Like you said, just a little hot sauce, right? That's all you need. Just a little hot sauce. Uh, as we move on, Jupau says, AD should stay at power forward unless for matchup purposes. I agree, brother. I agree. I agree. Z, dribbling is hard. So to me, baseline three, because you won't be able to dribble because you can't shoot. Defender sags up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, there are certain guys who had to learn uh, Danny, Danny Green's the best example of that. I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't think he's, we saw, we saw that too as well. Right. Z when the, when the screens came so, uh, somehow Van Vando and oh my God, you know, they just, they, they weren't respected enough. So defense didn't care whether they, they sagged off, especially in those first two series with Denver, it was more explicit, right? Cause he barely played, but, Good point. Um, as we move on, I want Max Christie to play more in his second year. And for God's sakes, why the hell did you sign him that two-year de- deal? Why? Mem- Memphis signed Kennedy Chandler to a four-year contract. And they had to get rid of him because they had another G-leaguer, Kenny Lofton Jr., who uh, happened to be a great player. And they needed to sign him. So they let that guy go. 
But Rob just keeps signing our guys that we draft in the second round to like two year deals. Now nah, here's a two year deal for you, a two year deal for you. Z, Danny developed his dribble because defenders are going at him. He reads the dribble play. Yeah, he had, yeah, but he had to learn that for like a whole two seasons too, right? That's true. He had to learn that for a whole two seasons because at, at some points, Pop just took him off the floor. Uh, because he couldn't, because he couldn't do that, he couldn't react to secondary, um, secondary. Uh, ah, what's the word there? Blanky, but yeah, you're right, Z. You're right, but if if you're going to be like Vando, Vando doesn't have the offensive chops that Pascal Siakam has, Z, but they have similar body types. And Vando is perfectly capable of developing. It doesn't have even have to be a big one. It's perfectly capable of developing that kind of action where he can work. Max should definitely get playing time next year. Sovereign. Yeah, see. Yeah. To me, Vando and Rui need to finish at the rim. Hell yes. Hells yes. But Sovereign, yeah, Max needs to play more. Like if you honest, if you're honestly evaluating the Lakers, right? So I'd argue Max Christie is our fourth best defender and didn't even play in the playoffs. So your fourth best defender didn't even get any time, any rip in the playoffs, and you could have used him. Christie always had the outline to be a very good player, like his body type and um, his, his, just his prowess to like that to, to me, that's the big difference. Why Christie's going to get more minutes over say somebody like Mo Bamba is that for their size and for their height, Max Christie actually uses his length. And whereas Bamba doesn't, he, oftentimes he's absent minded that he has length over just about 99.9% of uh, the other front court players and players in general he's playing with. So Christie knows how to use his length defensively. He really, really plays hard trying to get over screens rather than under them. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he comes from uh, a very disciplined uh, coach from Michigan State and Tom Izzo. Izzo really demands that his players fight over screens, fight over screens not under them it's a discipline that uh some guys learn over their years in the nba from mistakes it seems like christie already had that already had that mindset where he just fight he just tries to fight through everything his uh his shot got a lot better over the year as well um christie had kind of the same similar ascension that austin reeves had only in this instance because we were constantly fighting and clawing, uh, trying to get into a play-in or playoff position, uh, Ham had to sacrifice some somebody uh, uh, against uh, the idea that we weren't going to make the playoffs. And unfortunately, Christie was the odd man out. And I disagree with that. I thought he should have gotten at least 20 minutes a game. And you should have at least played him a little bit in the playoffs. Just a little bit. Because... There were times where uh, Dennis Schroeder was absolutely unplayable and you still put him out there. Christie's bigger than him, longer than him to fight through it. And Z says, here's my perspective. 
They have to develop running over the screens throughout the year. I remember Vogel doing it even against non-shooters because it's about habits. Yes, that's true. It is. It's it's not like you can turn it on and off, right? It's 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 habitual. And as he said, you know, it's developing habits, right? Bad habits die hard. That's the old expression. So yeah. That's a good point, Z, because even against non-shooters, against sub-35, sub-30% three-point shooters, Z's right. Vogel would demand his players go over the screen rather than under. He wasn't going He wasn't going to uh, tolerate laziness. He's not going to tolerate laziness, and that's what I'm hoping, you know, eventually gets going with because it, it really hurt. It really hurt in the Golden State series. They started to do do it just a little bit too much, especially at, especially at, after Game Three and Game Four. They were doing it a little too much, and from Game Four, Five, Six, Seven, One, Two, Three, Four, for about seven, eight games, they were just playing playing this. Well, we'll fight over screens when we think we need to, rather than all the time. Great point, Z. Great point, Z. Moving on down the line, you know, Dennis, Dennis had a really, uh, Dennis had a really up and down year, right? I mean, for, for me, Dennis in an 84 game season, uh, the 84, 82 game season, I was thinking that contract he didn't sign in an 82 game season, Dennis will give you 25 good to really good games. He'll give you 20 to 25 really bad to inexplicable games and then he'll be okay for about 30 of them so you normally get an okay to pretty good dentist sometimes you get the bad dentist it's uh you know it's it's the there are three sides to the truth there are three sides to dennis schroeder good bad and the ugly i'm not sure if we're going to be able to even afford him to bring him back so i'm not even sure we can bring him back I'd like to bring him back. Uh, I think he's a very effective uh, scoring point guard. Um, he's not a traditional playmaker. So maybe you think um, you can get a, like a better version of what he does at a discount, which I don't see. So I, I'm pretty sure if they don't bring him back, they're going to bring back somebody of um, a little lesser skill, skill quality and or a completely, uh, you know, different combo guard altogether. Um, Troy Brown Jr., man, there's another guy that uh, I thought earned minutes, earned some run, but uh, for some reason, Darvin Ham just wasn't confident enough in his play. I thought he played well against Memphis in the first round. Uh, didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but he was active good facilitator, you know, has some playmaking chops. Uh, I'd like to bring, again, I'd like to bring back Troy Brown Jr. I'm not sure if he would want to come back. Um, but good luck because I really like his game and think he could be a, a pretty good uh, guard off the bench. Lonnie Walker, the fourth. Lonnie, thank you very much for showing up at uh, a critical moment for the Lakers. You'll go down in Lakers, Laura, for that, brother. Thank you very much. We love you. 
Uh, Lonnie Walker the fourth will always be a Laker. I just don't think you'd want to be a Laker now, Lonnie. I think you played your way out of Los Angeles. And I think uh, you'll find your way onto another team with uh, hopefully a contract that sets you and your family up for uh, the next generation. Good on you, Lonnie. Thank you so much. And uh, we wish you good luck on your uh, journey. As we move on, LeBron, what can you say, man? 20th year, nearly tore the muscle at the bottom of your foot that you need for everything. And he's decided that, uh, yeah, I'm going to rest as long as I physically can. And I'm going to play through an immense amount of pain. LeBron was in uh, pain, ladies and gentlemen. He was in pain. He was in a lot of pain. He played through pain, significant pain. It's not like this. I, I know what people are saying. Oh, Sean, well, he can take, uh, he take, can take a cortisol shot, or you give him a, you know, a couple, a uh, couple oxycontin after the game to uh, deal with the no. This is the kind of injury where you just fight through it. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like one of the wor- one of the worst. It feels like lightning is underneath your feet. It's not plantar fasciitis. That's different. This is like that constant, constant spider webbing pain at the bottom of your foot. That's what LeBron felt for weeks. And I'm, I'm amazed he came back from it. I am. Because most physical therapists I know have said, you know, there's no way physically that the man should have been able to play and play at the level he did. But somehow he did it, you know. Somehow did it. You know, it's like it's like somebody gets like their shins blown off. I'm not trying to uh to equate it to that, but someone who can't walk somehow manages to walk. That's what LeBron was able to do. I don't know how he was able to play basketball at a high level in the NBA for eight weeks with that kind of injury, but somehow he did. So I'd like to hopefully and by the way, good on him for saying, you know what? You're not going to hear about my surgery until I come back and tell you guys about it or we're back at training camp and I let you know when it happened. That's boss. That's boss. Like, no matter how good your sources are, Shams, Woj, anyone else, you're never going to find out where and when I'm getting I'm getting surgery. That's, that's boss. Uh, going into perspectives about AD... AD and LeBron need to take that need to take care of their feet, guys. They really need to take care of their feet. He has to get surgery, Sovereign. He has to. He has to. He has to have it. It's necessary. It it, it almost ruptured. It almost ruptured. That if a muscle almost ruptures, it doesn't rupture. But that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be regeneratively healed. It does, because there's a lot of scar tissue. And the collagen really needs to heal. So he needs surgery. It's it's the most important part of the whole process here. If he doesn't have surgery, I don't think he can ever play again. Yeah, you know what? Um, the team just, the team found a way to gel this year. Through thick and thin. 
Hell and High Water, they just gelled. And I'm proud of them. And, you know, I'm thankful that they gave me a deep playoff run here and we got to discuss it. And guys, we're still talking about it because a lot of what they acquired leads us to believe that this core can do something next year and the year after. I think LeBron and um, AD will continue. I think we got we got two more years of this, and then I think it's over. So I think there's a two-year plan here. You need to build for the present and or build for the future because it's one or the other. The past is the past. It's no looking back. Sovereign says, great, great quote, no way we start 2-10 and 10 next year if we run it mostly back. I agree. I agree. You know, there, there was a, <laughs> there was a lot behind that two and 10 start. Um, perspectives, Russell Westbrook. Russ, I'm glad you're not a Laker anymore, man. Because we were all, most of us with half a brain, were willing to give you a shot, brother. Because you're a Hall of Famer walking into the Hall of Fame. And you're coming into a situation where AD and LeBron both had dealt with uh, almost season lingering injuries, you know, missing, you know, 18 games, 20 games. And we thought that uh, fitting you in that third slot, you'd be able to uh, plug the holes when, when things got uh, pretty thick, but didn't happen. We put uh, we put along the uh, the geezer front for LeBron AD last year with Russ, and the geezer front managed to win us 33 games. So we roll back. Still, the roster from from number four to number 15 was not good. It didn't complement Russ at all, and he didn't complement the rest of the roster. And he decides to blame the Lakers organization, blame the coach, blame Vogel. Then he decides he's going to blame us. It's the fans' fault. We didn't turn on you, bro. We were supporting you the whole way. And then the second you left, we got to the Western Conference Finals at the end of the day. Didn't win it. But I distinctly remember you saying that if the Lakers won a championship, you wanted that ring. Even though you weren't a part of it, you wanted that ring. You know what, guys? You know what, guys? If anyone out there thought that Pat Bev and Russell deserves a ring, then Matt Ryan deserves a ring, too. Because Matt Ryan won us a game. We wouldn't have been for 43 and 39 if it wasn't for Matt Ryan. We would have been forty-two and forty. So if you if you were gonna get a ring to those guys, but nobody mentioned Matt Ryan, right? Nope, nope, nope. Just funny how that works out. Uh yes, yes, Sovereign. Losing Russ was addition by subtraction. Well, Sovereign, I'm not I'm not so sure that uh, you know that that. that 
There is parity, but I mean, uh, last year, last year, Golden State and Boston played in the finals. The year before, it was Phoenix and Milwaukee. The year before that, it was Lakers and the Heat, then the Raps in the war. So, Toronto, Milwaukee, Phoenix, they're, you know, the, Denver now. So, I mean, it, it, it's always been there. It's just, have have they been able to get over the hump? Like, the, the Raptors are an example to all those small market, all those small and mid-market teams. They took a chance on it one year, and they won. See, th- to me, what was interesting is the Nuggets saw what the Raptors did, and they f- tried to follow basically what the Raptors did too. They traded for Aaron Gordon. They traded for KCP. They found the right mix and just blended. Now, can they finish the job? That's that's the ultimate uh, test. We're going to find out. But with that, wow, man, an hour. I appreciate everybody. I wish uh, Z's audio had been working because I uh, would have liked to talk to her. Uh, but Z, we need, to, we need to make sure your audio is fixed, all right? Because we're going to have you on again. So I appreciate everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Magic Man in the Morning. Go Lakers, and we'll see you again soon.